All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you are with us today. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Callwood Church, and I'm glad that you are here. If you haven't had a chance to be with us over the last couple of weeks, we are in a series called Church and State. And I was so thankful for how uh, Tim from Leading Influence Ministries last week uh, shared from his perspective as someone who is trying to serve and pastor uh, different political leaders across this country and give care for those people. So we're so grateful for Tim as one of our global partners in mission. And we're, we're continuing this series of Church and State today. One thing that I've noticed with this series was as soon as it kind of was announced that we were going to be talking about this, uh, there's a bit of tension present. Church and politics, faith and being a Canadian citizen. How do all these things connect and intertwine? What do we do when they are at odds with each other? And I love that there's been some quiet moments in the room because it means that this stuff is real and we are trying to wrestle with it and work it out. What does it mean to follow Jesus and be a Canadian citizen? And we're wrestling with all of these big, important ideas. And today we get to another interesting and possibly charged topic. So before we get into it, I want to start by asking a couple of questions. So here are some openly loaded questions today. Number one, do we believe Scripture is still important today? Number two, do we believe that they are God's Word and are living and active today? Number three, do we believe that they still possess wisdom for us regarding how we should live our lives today? All right, since we're all on the same page, let's dig in and read a few passages together today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 to 17 starts this way. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love for the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Next, to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, it says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. 
over to Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and the authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. And finally, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Today in our time together, we are going to unpack these scriptures and see what the New Testament has to say about Christians submitting to government. All right, everybody take a deep breath in and out. Okay, let's pray before we jump into looking at these scriptures today. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us your word, that it is still living and active today, that it is still useful for teaching, for correcting, and for rebuking us when we are wrong. And so I pray that today, God, we would have open hearts to what your word says to us, open hearts to how we may apply this word in our culture today. Lord, we may walk into here with ideas and political positions, but I pray that today we would just pause for a moment lay them at your feet, and allow you to speak to us before we have all of our positions lined up. Jesus, open up our hearts to hear you. That's my prayer for this morning. Amen. Amen. Our our son, Bo, is two years old, and he's at that, entered that life stage where he's trying to figure out where every single boundary is. (laughs) He wants to know what he can get away with. He wants us to know when he does not want to do something. I'll say, Bo, we're going to go to the store today. And he'll say, no, daddy, stay home and play monster trucks. He is more than willing to just tell us what he thinks, when he thinks, all the time. He loves to also know why we are doing things. And sometimes that helps get, get through to him. Sometimes it doesn't. He's two. But when, he, when he we're doing something, he wants to know why. And Lindsay and I were talking about this the other day. My, Lindsay's my wife, and we were talking about this the other day, and she said, were you like that when you were a kid? Did you always want to know why? And I, the answer to that question is 100% yes. Growing up, I needed to know why for pretty much every rule that my parents had, and often if I did not like that rule, I would not abide. Which, being on the other side of it now... I am so sorry, mom and dad, and I'm thankful for your patience. (laughs) Now, I don't think I'm alone with this problem, and in fact, I don't think it's actually a new problem. From the beginning in Genesis, we see that human beings have struggled with those in authority positions. God creates Adam and Eve in his image and tasks them with being his partners to rule and reign over creation. Yet instead of living within the created order, They sought to take control and define good and evil on their own terms by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God told them that they could eat from any tree in the garden, but if they ate from that one, they would surely die. Yet Adam and Eve thought that the freedom they were looking for was going to be found in eating that apple. We actually don't know what fruit it was, but it must have been tempting to the eye, so probably a good-looking apple. Insert your type of favorite apple here. And this brings us back to the passage for today and specifically to the idea of our freedom as followers of Jesus. In this passage from 1 Peter that we read earlier, it says this, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. 
live as God's slaves. On the one hand, live as free people, and in the same sentence, live as God's slaves. Does that not sound like an oxymoron? How do we live as free people and live as a slave to God? This first problem that we run into when we think about submitting to governments is that we have competing definitions for what it means to live free. The first thing that we can see in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is that the word freedom or free is used very differently in the Bible than it is in our 21st century Western culture. When someone uses the word free, they're usually using it in a free from kind of way. Here's what Tim Keller, pastor from New York City, says. The culture defines freedom in what we would call completely negative terms. You're free if you're free from. Free from constraints. Free from restrictions. Our Western culture defines freedom as mutually exclusive from commitments or promises or obedience. To the degree I'm obeying someone, to the degree I'm serving someone or keeping a promise, to that degree I'm not free. Why? Because it cuts off my options. This means that in our culture today, if something or someone hinders you, you are not free. Being free from restraints is the way that our culture usually defines and uses the word freedom. And this idea of personal autonomy, of being free from anything or anyone telling us what to do has become such a high value that I would argue we don't even realize how much it affects our decisions. It's why people struggle anytime they feel like there are expectations or commitments. You want me to commit at serving at that Easter breakfast a month from now? Ooh, what if something better comes up? What if I don't want to wake up on that Saturday morning? What if, what if? I'll get back to you on that later. I'm not really ready to commit to it right now. It's why people struggle with expectations and commitments in our culture, because when we commit to one thing, it means we cannot commit to something else. Since I have committed to marry and love Lindsay, my wife, which, by the way, is one of the best choices I have ever made. She's awesome. I made the promise to love her and not give myself to anybody else. And in the culture, the more options I have, the more things I can choose from, the freer I am. This is why when we read out of the passage earlier, live as free people, live as God's slaves, in the same sentence, it can kind of break our minds a little bit. This is why we need to understand that the Bible makes a couple of assumptions about freedom that are foundational before we even get into talking about submitting to government. First, here's the first assumption that the Bible makes. The Bible assumes that every human being will serve something. There is no such thing as being completely free from restraints or limits. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 puts it this way. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Now, I know this idea of servant and slave can kind of make us cringe a little bit. We, we love talking about in the New Testament the idea of us being children of God or being co-heirs with Christ, but a slave of God? We don't really use that kind of language very often. But I don't, don't want this to take away from the main idea of this point. The point here is that we will all live for something. We live submitted to the pursuit of something. It might be wealth or pleasing people or looking for affirmation on social media. It might be fame or whatever else you might fill in the blank with. 
This is what the Bible means when it says we are all slaves or are all serving something. A clarifying question for us this morning might be something like this. Is there anything in your life that if it were taken away, you would feel like you lost all purpose and meaning to your life? If something comes to mind, even if it's a good thing, in some way we might be servants to whatever that might be. The second assumption that the Bible makes when it comes to freedom is that since we are all serving something, whatever we are serving will bring restrictions. As an example, if I go to the doctor and the doctor says that I need to lose some weight for my health, if I'm committed to losing that weight, there will likely be some restrictions that I will have to place on the food that I eat or some restrictions on the amount of exercise that I put into my week. It probably means eating less of my Friday donuts that I love to eat. There will be plenty of restrictions, some that I might not like, but if I'm aiming towards losing weight and being healthier, I will have those restrictions in my life. The opposite is true as well. If I know that I need to lose weight but don't want to restrict my diet, there will be other restrictions that will come into my life. I might be restricted by having my joints hurt, or maybe I'm not able to do some of the activities that I love because of my health. I can freely choose what I want to serve, but every choice comes with restrictions. This is why the biblical view of freedom is not about being completely free from all restrictions or limits, but about choosing who we will serve and the restrictions that will come with those choices. Jesus, through his death on the cross, has freed us from the slavery to sin and to death, and now we can live with God as our Lord, our master, serving him. Here's how Romans 6.22 puts it. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. By serving God and submitting our lives to his authority and lordship, we actually find the life that we are looking for. And this is why Peter can say, live freely and live as slaves of God in the same sentence. In the biblical understanding, freedom is not the ability to do whatever we feel like doing. We are not just freed from something, we are freed for something. For living in relationship and service to God. And with this foundation of freedom in place, let's turn our attention back to the passages that we read earlier and see what free servants of God are called to when it comes to the governments that we live under. There's four directions that I want to pull straight from the passages we read today. And I'm going to pull the points for today's message straight from Scripture. It's also why I'm staying closer to my notes for today because I don't want my words to be misheard or misunderstood. The first thing that we freely do is we freely submit to government. Uh, This Greek word submit is hupatasso, and the idea behind it is to submit one's control, to obey, to subject oneself. And here again are the passages that we read earlier from Titus 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Jumping ahead to Romans 13 Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority that is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And finally, 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, 
whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. These words are difficult, and it's also why I started by asking those loaded questions this morning. Do we trust scripture? And it's also why we spent so much time talking about freedom. We are free to act as God's servants, and what does our Lord want from us? He asks us to submit to the government that is over us. Now, I know with me saying that, with some here today will automatically jump to, well, what about this situation? Am I still supposed to submit myself in this situation? Or what about when this happens? Do we still submit ourselves to the government? Which are fair questions. There will be a whole host of implications for how this has actually worked out in our lives that will take discerning together in community and asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom. But I don't want to just jump into a bunch of hypotheticals and miss the main point and posture of these passages. Are they important questions to be wrestled with? Absolutely. But we can get so focused on the exceptions that we miss the main idea, which is this. God wants us to submit to the government over us, not just the ones you voted for, not just the ones that you think are doing a good job, not even because they are people of character or integrity. Why does God ask us to do this? I told you earlier, it's wired in me to ask why every single time. And we find at least part of our answer in Romans 13 passage that we read earlier. For there is no authority except that which God has established. For us in Canada, this means that we believe that our prime minister would not have any authority unless it has first been allowed by God. I love this, this thought from Pastor Scott Sauls. He says, the Canadian public will vote as it does because God in the mystery of his providence has already cast the deciding vote. Friends, election results do not take God by surprise. Paul's statement here reflects the widely held belief in scripture that God can and has worked through secular nations to carry out his will. We've been in the book of Daniel over this last year And one of the titles used for Cyrus, who is the king of Persia, and Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, is God's servant. Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar were pagan dictators. God's servant was also used twice in the the Romans passage that we read from today. And this leads me to this idea. Just because God allows the government does not mean he approves of everything they are doing. Just because he allows it does not mean he approves of it. Preston Sprinkle, a New Testament theologian, says, just because God uses secular and sometimes quite evil institutions to carry out his will does not mean he approves of everything they do. Let's go back for a moment to the first century when these passages of submitting to the government were written. Rome is the same government that beheaded John the Baptist and beat Paul on multiple occasions also the same government that wrongly crucified an innocent man named Jesus. Just a few years after these words were written, Caesar Nero dipped Christians in tar and lit them on fire and set them up as human torches in his garden. Christians were persecuted, killed, and had horrific things done to them. And Peter and Paul are not giving these governments a free pass, saying that what the governments are doing is good. Just because God has allowed these leaders to be in the positions of power does not mean he approves of everything they are doing. 
There will be a time when governments may try to stop us from following Jesus or seek to make us deny him as Lord, and we will not submit in those moments. Many in the early church gave their lives because the governments they were under demanded those exact things, and they said no. But we freely choose to submit not on the basis of them being worthy or good leaders. We submit for the Lord's sake because we know he is over all. Someone after the first gathering this morning came up to me and had this great line. I wish it would have been in my message. She just said, we don't submit because of who they are. We submit because of whose we are. That is why we submit, because we are God's servants. The second thing that we freely do as God's servants is we live peaceable and good lives. Titus 3, 1 to 2 says this, be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. And over to 1 Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And the word that's used here for good is kalos. And it means that something that is pleasing to look at, something beautiful or handsome, something that is commendable, something that is honorable. And when people look at it, it affects their mind in an agreeable or comforting way. This is the kind of lives that Christians in the first century lived, even in the face of brutal religious persecution. Pastor Scott Sauls says this, Christians in ancient Rome faced severe opposition and persecution from the state. Yet in this climate, believers had, these are words straight from Acts, favor with all the people because of the refreshing way in which they loved all of their neighbors. When Christians sought to live good and peaceable lives, everyone took note, and even emperors noticed. The emperor Julian wrote a letter to his friend, Arsatius, and in this letter, he conceded that the more and more he tried to destroy Christians, the more their movement grew. And he went on to say this, the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Do you want to know one of God's primary tools that he wants to use to change this nation that we live in? It is you and I living good and peaceable lives. That is one of the ways that God will change and transform Canada. Here again is how Scott Saul sums this idea up. What does it look like for Christians to live out Jesus's kingdom vision in our daily lives? It looks like taking care of widows and orphans, advocating for the poor, improving economies, paying taxes, honoring those in authority, loving our neighbors, pursuing excellence at work, and blessing those who persecute us. When this happens, kings, presidents, governors, mayors, law enforcement officers, parks officials, and other public servants will take notice. What would it look like if the government officials looked at our good deeds and even if they didn't like us, they had to say, like Emperor Julian said, they care not only about their own poor, but also about ours. What would it look like if the government over us said they care not only about their own thriving, but also about the health and thriving of the community that they are in? 
They are the most loving people in their neighborhoods. Even though I don't like them and I let them know about it, they still choose to honor me and bless me. To sum it up in one sentence that's not a new idea to this church, what would it look like if our community knew that we were for everyone? This is the slow but powerful work that living good and peaceable lives in our communities can have. And this is the work that we are asked to join in with as God's servants. The third thing that we are asked to freely do as God's servants is freely respect and honor those in authority. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Show proper honor and respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Titus 3.2, slander no one, be peaceable to, and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. Romans 13.7, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The Greek word that's used for honor or respect here is timao. And this means to revere, to hold in honor, to venerate. It's interestingly the same New Testament word that is used when it quotes the Ten Commandment that says, honor your father and mother. So let me ask you a question today. Would you say the same things about your father and mother that you would say about political figures that you don't like? For parents in the room today, would you allow your kids to say the same things that you say about political leaders about your spouse? The same word is used, honor those in authority and honor your father and mother. This is one of the things that I love from Tim sharing last week is that he highlighted each political party is aligned with God's heart and biblical principles, even in some small way. If you didn't watch last week's conversation, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. And even if you struggle to find things to honor in the person, our political leaders are still worthy of honor and respect because they have the image of God imprinted on them. God created them and loves them and died on a cross so that they might be free from sin and death. This is why there is no place for contempt in our hearts towards political leaders. And if I'm going to shoot straight with you today, the way that some fellow Christians have talked about our prime minister and other political leaders grieves my heart. If you want to be salt and light in the world, try this one thing. Refuse to talk negatively about political leaders that you disagree with and find ways to honor them. In the culture that we live in, that alone would set us apart from the vast majority of people around us. If we want to be salt and light, we can't use the same playbook as everyone else all around us. We have to choose to honor and respect people even if we strongly disagree with our political leaders. Here's again how one person puts it. Believers need to be praying for, honoring, speaking well of, and submitting to their leaders. This is not optional. If it was true in Rome where religious freedom did not exist, it must be the case in places like ours where religious freedom does exist. Can I just be really blunt and honest with us this morning? In these conversations sometimes about how we interact with government, one of the first things that comes back to the table is, well, if this policy is put into place or if this person is elected, there goes our religious freedoms. 
Our rights and freedoms are going to be gone. And I just want to say, church, we don't do our best when we allow fear to have the steering wheel. That is a fear-based position. We are worried about losing our privileges, losing our rights. We are afraid of those things being taken. And the point is, if it was true still in the first century where they had no religious freedoms, where they had very little rights, where taxes were significantly higher, where a Roman soldier could just say to you, carry my armor for the next mile at the drop of a hat and you'd have to stop doing what you were doing. In a society where there was no religious freedom, and they were told to submit and honor their government. I think it's still true of us today. Would it be brutal if we lost some religious freedoms? Yeah, it would. It'd be very difficult. But it wouldn't stop us from being followers of Jesus. We need to stop letting fear have the loudest voice in this conversation, church. We are called to honor and respect our political leaders. And as the quote just said, the last thing that we are called to do as freed servants of Jesus is to pray for those in authority. 1 Timothy 1-2 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Did you notice where Paul, writing to Timothy, puts prayer? He puts it first. He says, first of all, start with petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for kings and all those in authority. Will there be other ways in our nation that we can influence our government? Yeah, there will be. But the first place to start, church, is prayer. Do you believe that your prayers actually make a difference? Because I do, and I believe that God, through his mercy and his partnering with us, will use our prayers to do things that we could never imagine. We're doing a prayer course right now at the church, and one of the lines from this last week was this, to pray is both a moral responsibility and a spiritual opportunity with God to bend the arc of human history in the direction of his kingdom. When you pray, it matters. It makes a difference. It is not being idle, saying, well, whatever happens, happens. When you pray, there is power that is released in that moment. And that's why one of the things that I love from last week from Tim and Leading Influence is their Pray BC campaign. It's one of the opportunities that he invited us to join in. And Leading Influence Ministries gives an MLA or an MP to pray for each day by name. And if you want to sign up to join praying for our political leaders by name, you can go to leadinginfluence.com slash praybc. And I would invite you to consider joining with this powerful initiative of prayer for our province and our nation. As free servants of King Jesus, we have been freed not just from something. We've been freed for something. We have been freed to pray, to honor, to submit to those in authority over us, to live good lives in our community. And we do all this not because our governments are always good or worthy of these things, but because, and don't miss this, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has set us free from slavery to sin and death. We are no longer serving things that lead to death. Instead, we serve King Jesus. Governments will come and go, but he is the one who is seated on the throne forever and ever. And let me invite you to come back next week where Pastor Sean's gonna look at that idea even more. 
Jesus has set us free, church. And because we are free, we freely choose to love and submit to those God has placed over us, trusting that he can take and use our honor, our good lives, our submission, and our prayers to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask for or imagine on our own. This isn't glamorous work. This isn't, if I'm being honest, always the work I feel like doing. But this is the invitation as free servants of God to honor, to love, to respect, and to submit to those that God has placed over us. Would you pray with me together, church? Jesus, I gotta be honest, these words are difficult to hear. These words are challenging to wrestle with, especially when we see people in political positions that we disagree with, especially when we see people in political positions that we believe are actively causing harm. Lord, we struggle to know how you can make sense of all of this, but in all of it, we trust that you are still sovereign overall. Just because you have allowed these governments to be in positions of power right now does not mean you approve of everything that you do and you are the one final judge. And so right now, Lord, allow us to take off our judge robes. Allow us to pick up our servants' aprons to love and serve, live good, peaceable lives in our community. Help us, Lord, to know how to follow you in the middle of Canada. And God, I am so hopeful that if we do this, we will be the salt and light to this earth. We will be your kingdom come in small ways and in small pockets, bringing transformation and hope. And so God, help us to not allow ourselves to be influenced more by the culture than we are by your kingdom and your word. Allow your word to do the deep and penetrating work in our hearts, Lord, so that we would walk out of here today wrestling with what does it mean to follow Jesus in Canada, in BC, and in Victoria. Jesus, you are still God. You are still King of kings and Lord of lords, and we trust you with that today. So help us to trust your words, even when it's difficult to understand. God, you are good, and we are thankful for your incredible love for us. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, church, for being with us today. Uh, if you're brand new to faith or you want to find out more about what following Jesus is all about, I encourage you to text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113, and one of our pastoral staff would love to hear more of your story and get in touch with you. Uh, we are actually starting just this week. I know you're getting your coats on, but we're starting this week a brand new Bible reading plan. And so if you want to join with us, we've just finished up the wisdom literature of this week. We'll be finishing it. And if you want to join with us in reading uh, the book of Luke and Acts together, you can do that by going to our website, callwithchurch.com slash Bible. We'd love to read with you. Have a wonderful week, church, as you go and freely serve. <laughs>